Hi, this is Princess Victoria. You're listening to BBGWrestling.com. Have a great day. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Turntruckle on bbgwrestling.com. I want to thank everyone first for the previous episode. Listenership was one of the highest that we've ever had for our interview with Todd Pettengill, our exclusive interview uh, leading up to the NXT takeover in your house. And uh, we're going to stick with the new generation and, uh, you know, chat many other things as well. But uh, one person who was probably responsible now, I'm going to probably build you up. Tell me when it gets embarrassing when I uh, build you up this way, or if I say anything that's like completely just libelous or slander, uh, slanderous or anything like that. Uh, one person who was definitely, potentially, uh, maybe accidentally responsible for uh, for wrestling going forward from the new generation period. Um, you know, where's your Hall of Fame induction? Maybe it's coming. Maybe there's a Warrior Award coming. Um, and, and you know what? People said that Warrior Award, oh, you know, they have this new thing where they have a fan appreciating word or a super fan or whatever they call it, where they, they inducted the first fan in there, which was the hat guy or whoever it was. I forgot who it was. Oh, no, it was Vladimir, it was- actually. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Um, that rings a bell. And then you got all this uh, treasures, lost treasures where they're collecting everything. Something is coming up, you know, something can happen. Museum, not warrior award but you know something along those lines so i it's not like out of the blue or it's not like craziness to say hall of fame it's like something's there well someone who has probably maybe split more opinion than a lot of people as well i have with me manny matadi hello how are you doing very good thank you for having me um so you know, you were recently, most recently, on the uh, the A and E Shawn Michaels uh, biography, um, and there was a lot of uh, feedback to that as well, including people like Jim Cornette, who I'm a huge fan of as well. But what do you, when you get feedback like Jim Cornette's uh, very friendly feedback, um, you know, how do you think about that now? Like, do, do you just take it on the chin? That morning, when I got a a message from someone like eight in the morning, they told me, oh. Jim Cornette blames you all for it. You know, he, he hates you, all this. He wants to kill you and this and that, and that. And to me, right away, I got so excited. I'm like, oh, that is the greatest thing ever. It's like I was more excited to hear what he said than when I was on EA and E. It's like, I re- you know, because remember, we filmed like six months prior to being on A and E. It was cool to to watch it and everything, but I wanted to hear what Jim Cornette said about me. And I, I just started laughing as soon as I heard what he had said. It was like, oh, I love Corny. He's awesome. Well, you know, over the past few years, um, because you have, for me, you've kind of been more visible because WWE specifically shone a spotlight on you. Uh, but being in the UK and not, you know, having access to, say, uh, dirt sheets or having access to the internet in the 90s and the early 2000s and stuff like that, how in the public eye were you? until WWE decided to find out who was responsible for filming the curtain call? 
That's actually one of the best questions you could have asked me because the, the fact is from May of 96, when we filmed it till about 2015, I was actually silent about it. I never talked to my friends that I even did pro wrestling with friends that I was watching wrestling with, or just people in general. I never talked about the current call and I never even acknowledged that I filmed it because I was so upset that how it got leaked out. It bothered me a lot. It bothered me to the point where I pretended it never existed. And I would never talk about it at all. So I would get people out of nowhere that I was friends with, like, how come you didn't tell me you did this? Even all the times when we would watch wrestling together, WWF, WCW, ECW, whatever it was. It was only until 2015 when the WWE contacted me, not me contacting them. Actually, Jason contacted them in 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 a kind of like a comment kind of way, like, hey, we filmed this thing and then they got in touch with him. And then WWE wanted to get contact with me, you know, because they wanted to do a little click DVD. So that's like 20 years of not saying anything about it. And all of a sudden, since 2015, and especially now, 2020, 21, 25th anniversary, the AE stuff, it's like now it's an everyday thing. Even if I didn't want to talk about it, I mean, I, ha- I kind of have to, whether I liked it or not. Now I can embrace it and I'm happy to talk about it. Every day I'll get messages from different platforms and it's a good thing. You know, it's finally nice to just be able to talk about it in every aspect, which is, which is nice because 20 years pretending it didn't exist. It, it wasn't fun, you know? So was the, was there a worry? I mean, I know, you know, WWE and Triple H played that trick where they had you arrested for, you know, um, bootlegging footage and sneaking a camera in and you know all done in good jest and stuff like that but was there any legitimate worry at that time and was i mean and it may sound like a ridiculous question but like was there any sort of worry about repercussions from wrestlers like legit because of 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 how much that kind of exposed i mean how much that was perceived to have exposed things because you know wrestling was kind of being i guess more exposed and you know, uh, had a light shone on it and, uh, you know, the cafe was kind of already being broken by that point anyway. But but was was that a part of the reason why you stayed quiet for that long? No, the only reason why I kept quiet was because, you know, I didn't like how the tape got leaked, how it got shown on the Brian Pimlin Raw Memorial Show without our knowledge. I didn't even know that it was going to be shown. And I was like, you know what? Every time they showed it on DVDs here and there, the NWO Black and Black, the Triple H DVD, the Shawn Michaels. And I was like, oh, I just hated seeing the footage because I didn't want to be a part of it because of the fact that never, we never got acknowledged for filming that because we were the only cameras there. And the thing is, so as far as backlash from this or that or that or anything legally, no, it had none to do with anything like that. So I see you actually would have preferred to have been acknowledged at the time for the person to have recorded it. I mean, yeah, at the time it it would have been nice, but I wasn't the one that leaked it. I mean, people say, yo, you know, these guys, they leaked the footage, they snuck in the camera and they leaked it to the internet. We we never leaked it. I mean, uh, I just made a copy for a dirt sheet writer and he turned his back and gave it to somebody who was friends with Shawn Michaels. And that's how Shawn Michaels got the tape. You got you. So, the copy of it. The copy of the copy of the copy of the copy, I should say. <laughs> well, the the crappy footage <laughs> that you see now. 
Well, that's the thing. I like the idea that the sort of uh, your original copy is like super HD quality, but I'm guessing it isn't. Because um, I mean, <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of fan cams from that time. Were you? Were, um, how many did you record at that time? Was I mean, was that a one-off or was that kind of uh, not the first time that you'd done that? Um, we did it about eight times in uh, New York, Madison Square Nassau Coliseum from '95 to '96. I mean, some people would say, oh, it was just, I mean, well, I wouldn't say some people would say I heard it once or whatever it was that, oh, it was just some lucky fan who just brought in the camera and taped it. But, you know, we're, we were diehard wrestling fans. We collected tapes. I have over 350 VHS tapes. And Jason, the one with the camera, he's the one that wanted to bootleg stuff because he wanted to see what house shows were like, if something would have happened. And oh, this would be cool. You know, it's like, I, I want to bootleg these things. I saw these are one, the title Madison's Regarding. I got a copy of it. I was, and he was so upset that the quality was so bad that he wanted to do his own thing. And I said, you know what, let's, let's go with this ride. Let's, let's do it. You know, and that's what we did. Did it shock you that there were actual cameras at the diesel Madison Square Garden win over Backland? Because when they start showing that backstage footage of him shaking everyone's hands, I was just like, like it, it to a point it doesn't shock me that they have cameras following them everywhere but i really didn't think that they would have had cameras there for that for that one that shocked me and jason the most like whoa wait a second they have him actually winning the title and going backstage and having at the time 94 whoa wait a second wwe had their cameras on then this is cool you know because they had the bootleg of 94 when he won the title and you know, they had their own footage as well, hmm. but wow, that was like, oh, this is cool. You know, they, they, they showed that stuff. And that, that was the first thing me and Jason talked about when, when they showed that in backstage with, with Diesel a couple of weeks ago with his title win. Oh, absolutely. So, that, that is, if I had one criticism of the network, it's that they have stopped doing the hidden gems. Like that was the thing that I look forward to the most where they really dug the archives and, you know, they, they put that stuff on the documentaries now, but I do wish that they, they must have just all kinds of stuff that they could, when they put the Lex Express footage out there um, and it was almost like they dug into my mind and were like, right, what does Paul specifically want to see? Um, and, you know, if I could have seen anything, it would have been the entire unedited body slam challenge plus the entire Lex Express tour. They didn't even bother to edit it. They just kept the bus on camera for like 10 minutes going down the road. Like that kind of stuff I love, but obviously that is very niche and I don't think that's going to appeal to, appeal to um, many people besides, you know, uh, people like you, uh, you and me. So, at the time, how uh, ingrained were you in the sort of tape trading world, and what was considered taboo to have back then for you? Well, the thing is, um, I started out in nineteen ninety six or ninety five. I started out with, you know, back then before there was podcasts, before there was hotlines. There was there was expand which helped me create an online content of the internet news world. So I created a name WWF WF2, where people can update every day and they can see WWF news and everything like that. And then from that, like after a few months, I created a wrestling hotline. And from that, it was like a one eight hundred hotline. So everybody would be updated with news, um, the results, all that stuff. And I had to update that every day, which was, 
it was a, it was an amazing ride. And as far as tape training goes, that's how I got to selling tapes. I sold VHS tapes that, you know, obviously I recorded from many, many years, WWF, WCW, ECW, USWA, NWA, FMW, SMW, uh, All Japan, New Japan. I had it all and mm. I still have it to this day. That's what where the tape trading came in. I mean, I never traded the current call, but, you know, obviously I gave it away by accident to a friend I trusted. But that that's really how it happened, you know, that, and that's how it was. That original tape, if they ever did the, uh, the Hall of Fame uh, museum, I guess that that would be in there now. But you don't know where the original tape is now? No, I got it, actually. Oh, you do have it? Yeah, I actually, <laughs> and it's only because I have it from like two months ago. I'm like, I'm doing these podcasts and I'm like, you know what? I got to get this tape out of my storage somewhere because, you know, I, I got the storage with all my VHS tapes and wrestling chairs, whatever memorabilia. And the thing is, I never took it out. So I was like, you know what? Let me go find it. And here I'm searching for it. And five minutes later, I'm like, oh, it's right here in the first box I searched for. I'm like, oh, here it is. It's, you know, back then I labeled it as the click tape because it wasn't labeled or thought of as the current call or anything like that. It was just called the click tape because that's all I can think of it as, you know, people back then after like a month or two, they would say, Oh, it's the farewell, the click or the, the click farewell. I just had it as MSG boot and nine May 19, 1996 boot meaning bootleg or the click tape because it's the click. And that's what I had labeled that. And I took it out. Like, you know what? Boom. Let me take it back to, to my house. And uh, you know, uh, probably should just save it there until it's ready to be shown to the public. I like the idea that, you know, you maybe recorded over an episode of Wheel of Fortune or something with, uh, with the click footage and it just cuts off. And then at the end, there's just Vanna White just turning letters or something like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So when did you start, when did you first hear it being called the curtain call? Uh, Was that years later? Because when did, in your uh, knowledge, when did that name really start to take off as a, as the term for that footage? Um, for a while, it was just called Farewell to the Click. And the reason why I remember that is because I remember dirt sheet writers and people tra- tape selling trades, tra- tape traders, tape sellers, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. That's what they would label that. I'm like, yo, you guys are selling our tape and your guys they're profiting off of it and we never sold it we never profited off of that from tape training or anything like they they were the ones that were making money off our tape so that was the first time i heard about what it was called as far as it being called the current call itself i don't know maybe like a, a decade from now or you know from you know maybe 10 years ago 10 15 years ago i can't i can't recall yeah but the first few years, first 10 years, the first 15 years, it never really had a proper name to what it was. And I mean, bear in mind it being in the UK as well. Uh, there were, there's definitely, or there was definitely a sort of a, how do you call it? A community of smart fans. And we have stuff like a power slam magazine, which I'm certain you're familiar with, which is now inside the ropes magazine. And I'm sure you did you get interviewed for them like even at the, like more recently or did they ever reach out to you or did you ever see that f- 
reference to in those magazines? Uh, no, no, none of the magazines have ever reached out to me. No, I'm surprised. I think like Inside the Ropes, um, who are kind of the uh, the follow on from Power Slam, they are perfect for that kind of thing because I can imagine like the June 1996 issue would have been full of you know everything that happened from that night um as well so yeah being in the uk and being my age as well uh sort of you know in terms of tape trading in terms of becoming a smart fan whatever that means um you know we i didn't have access to anything i just had access to what came out at the time and you know a, a taboo video for me well not taboo but rare was the original usa network showing of royal rumble 88 that never came out on video so to be able to get a copy of that in the uk for me was just mind blowing at the time and i remember um the, the curtain call footage, someone made a, a compilation of just everything DX from the first, I mean, starting from the curtain call, going all the way through to WrestleMania 14 was kind of the cutoff point. For, so the original DX. And my only knowledge of the footage is the clip that you see on TV all the time and on videos and stuff like that. So is there, I'm guessing you recorded the full show um, and but they've just never bothered to use any of that, you know, because that's the non-important stuff. Well, what else happened on that show? And was there anything particularly uh, noticeable that stood out? And the thing about that show is the cameras were actually rolling from WWE throughout the whole show. Um, obviously, it was a magical house show. I used to hate going to house shows because I would tell Jason, why do you even bring your camera in there? Nothing happens at these house shows. What's the point? You're wasting your time. I would tell this to him over and over again, and I'm glad he didn't listen to me because if if he would have listened to me, we wouldn't have gotten any of that footage or anything from that show. That that, that night was magical because it, it was actually a pay-per-view type feel. It was the ultimate Warriors return to Madison Store Garden. It was the night that he actually did a shoulder block to Owen Hart, which broke his arm. Yeah. And uh, Owen Hart would always wear that cast months later, you know, and you would see that. It was from that night. I mean, the tag team titles changed legitimately and not two minutes later went back because it's yeah, yeah. a house show. It's like it never got reversed from a referee not seeing it or anything. The Godwins won the, won the titles, you know, from the Body Donners that night. It was, you know, Ringmaster Steve Austin going up against Jake the Snake Roberts. That's a great match in itself. And and obviously you got a cage match, Shawn Michaels and Diesel. You got Hunter Arselmsy and Razor Ramon. And two of those guys, you know, well, Razor and then Diesel there last night. So it was just like a magical night all in one as a house show for the Garden. It was a pay-per-view type field because even if the, the tag titles changed, Nothing ever happened. There was no current call. We would have been happy for that because we, we caught this on camera. The tag titles changed. And the fact that we, our section, us included, we started the You Sold Out chant for Razor Ramon. We would have gotten that. And that we would have been happy just to have that. Forget what happened. If, if anything would have happened at the main event in the steel cage. We, yeah, Something was there that night. It was magical. It really was. Yeah, that, that was a bit of a brain fart on my end. I did actually know about the tag title change. And the Own Heart Warrior match ended up on the unreleased matches 
uh, DVD as well, which was, that was a bit of a mind blower as well. Like I would have thought that on that DVD, they would have put the tag title change on there if they had all of it. Um, and I'm guessing that is the reason why the cameras were there to film. It was like the, um, yes. the Quebecers winning the tag belts back from Jeanette and one, two, three kid. And, and the kid. Yeah. Yeah, I think the cameraman only... It's a good job this uh, fan cam footage because I love that New York Rumble. It's such a... It's like an alternate reality version of what happened in the actual 94 Roy Rumble. Um, You know, it's it's definitely fun to see. And Yokozuna, he nearly takes Tatanka's face off with that. Like, he kind of skids along the ring and just slides across Tatanka's face and how it didn't break his nose or anything like that. But, yeah, I'm guessing the cameras were only there for that, really, and just maybe decided to film a well they had a hard camera didn't they yes they actually did never had and 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 when they even uh put the warrior and owen footage on that dvd it was crazy because they went back and forth from hard camera footage or whatever they were filming to our footage as well and then back and forth without commentary it's like oh this is weird this is cool too you know telling you I, i've just this is audio so i'm just doing the money the million dollar man money uh grab you sh- you know where's the royalties i'm telling you you know you filmed that right <laughs> of course <laughs> it, it's there <laughs> Trust well me. um i'm friends with uh, I, you must be familiar with richard land uh who's like a he runs the he's now the, currently the person who runs the history of wwe.com website and he is like the ultimate footage hound of just anything he's he's amazing and um he had uh, do you know the uh the dungeon bret hart dvd um the unreleased matches and the rare matches well there's a match in france on that canal plus channel um with bret against andre and for some reason wwf or wwe don't own that footage or don't have it no not in possession of it so they pulled it from Richard's YouTube channel <laughs> and put it on the DVD. They didn't even ask him to see if he had a recorded version from TV or anything like that. Um, and I think because of that, they allowed Richard to have his channel for a little longer than they normally would before they, you know, before IRS and Repo Man came in and uh, closed the whole thing down and, you know, yeah. uh, demanded some kind of royalty. But yeah, um, so... With uh, WWE and you guys having, a, a, I guess, a, well, a working relationship, um, are they kind of like coming back to you for like other footage that you may have? And uh, did they want to know in the way that Hidden Treasures has went out to collectors to see what they had in their collections? Did the Hidden Treasures guys or did the a guys come out to you to find out what you had as well, besides the curtain call footage? Yes, uh, actually, they have. Um, as far as um, other camcorder footage, they wanted everything that we had, especially the WWE. The first time we were on the Click Rules DVD, and even A and E, they wanted other footage that we we taped. So, uh, no, they've been they've been good to us, and uh, they try to get whatever we can. And for me to go and search for everything, it's kind of hard to. So Jason did all that work. He did all the legwork as far as sending them the bootlegs that we did and all that. And uh, as far as, you know, the quality of the tape that you guys see today is nowhere near as good as the one I have in my possession. Because you got to remember, I still have that. They never asked for the original, even though they own the rights to now I'm glad they own the rights to the curtain call and the, the entire event. They never asked for the original which I was, it's, it's mind boggling because that's the best quality you can get. Cause the one that you see on, 
all these DVDs, all these A&E, uh, Dark Side of the Ring. It's like, wow, you can barely make out those four <laughs> figures. It's like blurry figures coming in and hugging and kissing each other. It's like, come on, you know, it's like, at least ask me for the original. I have it, you know, it's a good quality, you know, it's the original. <laughs> it's been copied so many times, so many times that it just loses its value. Same thing with the original that I have. I've only played it in my life since we record it, I've only played it three times. Obviously, because of the fact is, you know, we don't want to lose the quality of every time you play it, it loses quality. And every time you copy it, the copy is called generation lost and it gets worse and worse and worse. And that's what WWE has to this day is like the three or four times copied over who knows how many times. It, it does look like you shot it on a cell phone in like the year 2000. <laughs> it sure does yeah um that's the thing is what because you know people must think why bring such a terrible camera to an event to film the whole thing but if it's you know really good quality what i get a kick out of though is that the night after bad blood when they showed on the titantron the biggest tv in the world and it's the worst quality footage and it's stretched to hell and just (laughs) stretched out worst quality The, the thing is you kind of read my mind because not only when I'm seeing it the first time, it's the first time I'm seeing it without any knowledge. Yeah. I would not only was I upset that it was being shown, me and Jason were upset that it was being shown, but I was, I think I was a little more ex- upset that, wait a second, why is my tape, not only why is my tape on there, but why is my tape such a bad quality? Yeah. It's like terrible. I'm like, this is in our tape. It's like, it's been copied over so many times. And also they, at the time they blocked out our audio from us screaming and me screaming like a little girl, like a baby or whatever. It's like, Oh, it, it was like, but then later on the, obviously they got a better quality and then they started including my voices in for all their DVDs and everything, which was cool. But I think that's what upset me the most is how bad their quality was. If anything. Well, um, with the audio, again, a, a, a perception that I had, uh, not knowing who recorded it, etc., um, and that it was recorded from a, a smart fan's point of view, um, I thought that you kind of, you know, quite rightly, because I'm sure a lot of people in the arena may have thought this as well, that either Sean had turned heel or Triple H had turned face, and, you know, that it was a gen- genuine fan reaction in that sense in terms of like kayfabe instead of actually knowing what was really uh going on at that time but obviously that's not the case you were kind of it was more the acknowledgement that you know this forbidden rule had been broken and um that's what you were kind of i guess losing your shit over (laughs) yeah because you got to realize not only was back then heel and face turns were cool things like when it, it didn't happen too often it was like once every six months once a year now every month or so whatever we don't know it's a heel face turn he, he this guy's whatever but uh at the time it's like oh cool um sean michaels is lifting up diesel so now diesel's a face you know it's like boom that's a that's a face turn in itself and then you know razor coming out that's cool because they're all faces now but the hunter thing that's the one that just made me uh, you know go a little crazy a little too much which was uh, unreal because i that's something you don't expect because you know there's a click but you don't know hunter's in the click even though 
I had to know everything that was going on backstage because I had a wrestling hotline that I had to update every day. We didn't know that Hunter was friends with these guys. Nobody knew. Yeah. You know, we didn't know they were called the, really the click, but we knew they were friends. But with Hunter, it was just like, oh, wow, this is insane. Well, even on screen, you know, in 95, 96, you would see, you know, uh, Diesel, Shawn Michaels, uh, one, two, three kid do the click uh, sign, but you would never see Hunter Hurst up because it would be out of character. But I'd never seen this until actually probably about a year ago. Uh, in your house, seven good friends, better enemies. Uh, the the pre-show match was Triple H against Mero, and uh, oh no, sorry, it was Mero against One Two Three Kid, and uh, Hunter Hurst Samson gets involved, attacks Mero because that feud's happening, and we never got this on video at the time, and it was never shown in this country. But when they released the DVD version of it, they put the pre-shows on, and I talked to the guy who was in charge of making the UK DVDs, etc., on a previous show, and. Triple H is getting dragged off and to the camera because he's, he's angry and everything. He does the, the click sign to the camera. And this is in April 96. And it looks completely out of character for him to, for him to do that then. And I, I would say probably that's the only time during that time that it was ever done by him on camera, especially being a heel and everyone else being a thing. Well, I mean, Diesel had just turned by that point. But um, yeah, that was, that was kind of crazy to see. Yeah, you actually know your stuff because I've never seen that one. Even And I, I even watch all the In Your House pre-shows even before the pay-per-view airs. I've never seen that before. So I would like to come check that out. Yeah, well, the, the we have DVDs or we had DVDs in this country called Tagged Classics. And the story behind it is when Silver Vision, which was one of WWF's first uh, licensing deals ever, uh, which is why the, the relationship lasted so long, um, Silver Vision would be sent the masters of the the pay-per-views edited to WWF's specific standards, like mistakes would be cut out, etc. And they released them on video with the countdown show, which was sent on a separate master tape. And Silver Vision just simply never gave the footage back because WWF never asked for it. So around 2005, when people couldn't buy the videos anymore. The name change had happened. Nothing was available. They thought, okay, we could re-release these, not the live events, but the the Coliseum video edits, and we can put them on DVD two at a time, so WrestleMania 1 and 2, 3 and 4, etc. And we can put the pre-shows on as well, because for whatever reason, for some of the In Your Houses, they didn't include the pre-shows on the video. But That's true. So you get... um, you know, even the Coliseum video uh, dark matches at the end of In Your House 1 and 2 with uh, Bam Bam against Tatanka, etc. Stuff that isn't on the network. Again, I, I really wish that they would put the pre-shows on the network because there's some important stuff that happened on those, like tag title changes, uh, you know, really cool interviews, uh, debuts, all that kind of thing. And uh, you know, Or Vince announcing Brian Pillman's death. That was on a pre-show as well, yeah, yeah. on In Your House or, what, or by Blood, whatever it was. Yeah, I, I really think that there's really important. And again, because I've just uh, done part two of an interview with Todd Pettengill, the king of the pre-show. So I was reminding him of stuff that he hadn't remembered for about like 25 years at that point, you know, coming to the ring on the horse at Survivor Series and stuff like that. But yeah, I do. It, it, it's at a point now where I can't, I don't know if this is a snobby thing. And I want to ask you this. If you're watching a, an event, a pay-per-view retrospectively, do you have a particular version of an event that you like to watch? Do you do you still have the 
the original broadcast? Do you prefer the Coliseum video, the network version, etc.? Because obviously there's overdub music and there are cuts here and there. And people like me and you, we know where the cuts are and it's really annoying when they overdub music. But does that kind of stuff like annoy you when you watch? All the time. I mean, we're... We're on the same page as far as 100% because that's the reason why I record everything on VHS yeah. to have everything original as possible. So there's no edits. There's no theme music edits, especially in some of the copyrights for the WWE theme songs and just about every uh, ECW theme songs, the WCW theme songs. I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I have the originals this way. I can have demolition or or rick root come out to his original theme and I, I can have this and i can have that and one thing was cool about the wwe network that they did include on some of their pay-per-views the original originals that didn't even air on on the vhs that they, they aired on the pay-per-view and straight through the backstage interviews i was like oh this is cool i don't even have this on my vhs tape and everything but then again Afterwards, they, they started every, editing everything, and then now Peacock is editing everything, and that's the way it is. I, I just I prefer the originals and how they went down, you know? Yeah, I, I feel really, I mean, not in a patronizing way, because, I mean, you have everything any, anyway, but um, I really feel bad for American fans who have to deal with this Peacock uh, stuff. We, our network hasn't been touched yet, except for... Um, Right, and well, I, I do think uh, even in this country, the the uh, the blackface stuff has been taken off. I think it has, even the Piper Bad News match and uh, stuff like that. Or um, they will take stuff down, like the the Hogan Rock and Wrestling cartoon when all the Hogan stuff happened, etc. Yes. But it's largely untouched, and but it is part of the reason why I've kept all my videos and DVDs as well because I was like, when the network first happened, I was like, this can't last. <laughs> Even at oh, the time. yeah, um, because we've I prefer 24 7 in terms of the content that was put up there, and you know, it was tons of MSG shows and Boston Garden shows and Shea Stadium shows yes. and years upon years of just live wire and mania episodes. And you know, they didn't really do much in terms of new uh shows. And don't get me wrong, I love a lot of the new shows, I mean, I could do without our truth's game show, you know. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure who that is for. Um, but, yeah, no, I decided to keep everything much like you. I mean, did you see the future of the network or did you did you have your doubts as well once you started seeing, even at the time, things being edited? And um, was there anything that particularly upset you that wasn't on that should have been on? Well, I once the network came out, I was like, you know what, they got to add, wrestling challenge they got to add wwe uh superstars on there and i was like you know what there's a lot of things that happen you know some tag towns ages heel turns face turns that that should have been on there and of course all the saturday night's main events that should have been on there you know eventually they caught up with a little bit and then after a while peacock hit and then even if you have peacock there's you're watching a show, you want to fast forward, you got to watch all these commercials now, which is crazy. It's like, whoa, that's like the worst part. It's like, you're watching it, you want to skip to, there's a commercial, 45 seconds, you just don't want to watch now because you can't even go to the part where you want to go to. Are you reverting back to your DVDs and VHS and everything else now instead of watching the network? Well, the thing is, 
I don't I don't watch the network now. I mean, once in a while I watch the specials that's that's on. Um, as far as my tapes, they're all in storage. One day I'll just have to go and start watching them again, see see the footage I have. I mean, I'm sure I got some good stuff on there. The um certainly in this country with the aforementioned tag classics, um, I think everyone in this country because of Peacock is now starting to get worried that things are going to get edited here. And, you know, I mean, and there are still the, the, um, the music overdubs and stuff like that, which I can just about deal with now. Uh, Cause at least demolitions music's back on instead of that generic rock music. And at least we don't have the wheel of fortune music for dusty anymore. Um, you know, but uh, the tag classics have gone up in value a lot uh, because people want, what I believe they feel is unedited, even though they still are, you know, edited a little. Um, but they're, they're about as close as you're going to get. I mean, with, with the Attitude Era Tag Classics, the the big selling point was that the logos weren't blurred out. And this was during all of that time when every DVD release, um, you know, uh, were, was blurred to hell. You know, the, uh, the anthologies, you know, I love the anthologies for not editing certain things but i don't have the attitude era ones because wrestlemania 14 i've never watched the the anthology version of that but that's just when that wwf t-shirt came out and all the cameramen have got it and everyone in the audience has got it and i can just imagine just a blur of you know uh red and white and and the turnbuckles as well it's just i that that's another thing i was going to mention it's like i was there for that night it's like you're you're everything is blurred like all the signs and of course, all the turnbuckles are blurred, and you're watching like, what is going on? You know, like you can't even mention WWF. <laughs> oh, you you were there for WrestleMania 14. Yeah, in, in Boston. Yeah, oh. Sean and Sean and um, uh, Austin. Yep. For me, just it it doesn't get more perfect of a night than WrestleMania 14. In terms of my collection, my timeline kind of now stops at WrestleMania 14 because it does feel like a, a huge pivot point uh, to me. Um, what I mean, you know, apologies if you've been asked like a million times, but what is your favorite event of all time? Favorite event of all time? I would probably say uh, either SummerSlam 88, which is the first SummerSlam I've been to, or if you really want to get down to it, I would have to say the current call that night. I mean, at the time, I wouldn't say that to you or even a year later i wouldn't say that to you but i think now come to look at it that was yeah and, and it's probably some survivor series 1997 that i was at as well oh did you no, have 90, a- 90, 96 i'm sorry i apologize the, oh. the one at the garden yeah yeah do, in, do you uh, have a chair Ocean. do you have any of the pay-per-view chairs i have uh, a lot of the ringsider chairs from wrestlemania and the monday night raw chairs those are the ones i keep in my storage uh-huh. uh so in terms of merchandise generally did you go to the merch stand uh, i mean and the thing is though when if you brought in a camera 90s cameras probably weren't that small um did you get patted down did you get checked or like how did you hide? i see what i imagine is you know the episode of the simpsons where homer's got the hat to uh, yeah. get to the <laughs> store <laughs> it's just a big green yeah. <laughs> yeah right it was it was 1995 96 you're not getting in a small camera you you're not you, you we didn't have a big camera either it was actually a vhsc which is half the size of a vhs camera so it's not like big heavy where it's like a 
two feet long. It was it was half the size of that. It wasn't like camcorder small, small, but it was it was uh, medium size, and we didn't have to sneak it in. We didn't have to tuck it in our pants. We didn't have to put it in a bag. We just walked right in with it without a problem. And and you may say, how can you do that? We did it every time because we never worried about getting caught. It was just a normal thing that we did. So at the Madison Square Garden and the NASA Coliseum shows that we did, all we cared about was like, do you have your backup battery? Do you have your extra tape? Boom. Is it charged? Let's go. Boom. Jason went to hang it over his shoulder in his bag. And maybe half the time they would ask what's in the bag and he would actually open it up and say, oh, it's just a camera. Meaning it's just a flash camera. Meanwhile, yeah. it's a video camera. And they would say, okay, they would never question a 17-year-old, 16-year-old kid walking in thinking they were, why would they want to record a stupid house show? Yeah. So they would just let us go. And that's the way it always was. We never hid it in our pants or anything. We walked right in with it all the time. And, mo- and sometimes, you know, we never even got asked what was in the bag. Because we were just kids just going to the show. And that was our stuff that we carried in. Did you go to the final Nassau Coliseum uh, show? Um, when was that? Well, it wasn't that long ago. It was maybe in the last... I mean, don't write me letters if I got this wrong. But I think yeah. it was in the last five years. And they made a t-shirt to commemorate the fact that it was the... I think they did the same for the Cow Palace as well. They they commemorated by making a shirt for that night. Which I find oh, really okay, good. yeah. The last Coliseum show probably I went to was 2016. I think that was the last time I'd, I'd been to a, a WWE event. That may have been the, the last one. I mean, I would have to look into that. I was reading something recently on uh, on the Boston Garden, and the last show that they did there was in 1997. And they even brought out uh, Pete Doherty, the Duke of Dorchester, um, as a special guest for that night as well, which is really cool. I hope there's footage of that somewhere. I hope that that... Uh, I hope that that turns up. Um, so were you, uh, in terms of merchandise, did you always make sure to have like the event cap, T-shirt, et cetera? No, nothing like that. I was just happy to be at the events. You know, it's just, I was never like a, a merch kind of guy. I mean, I had merch here and there, but I was never one of those to, you know, I got to get this, I got to get that. I got to be to show that I got this shirt or anything like that. No, it was never like that, you know. So in, in terms of um, the arenas that you went to as well, would you say Madison Square Garden, in terms of electricity, that would be head and shoulders above everywhere else? You know, because even a lot of the New York venues, like, did you go to the Manhattan Center much? I'm assuming you did. Yeah, and the thing is, um, NASA Coliseum was like the Long Island of Madison Square Garden. It, was, it wasn't quite there. So the electricity wasn't there as the garden because the garden attracted everybody. And it was just something else about the garden. Because remember, back in the day, in the house shows, all the results would be the same. Everything would be the same. But at the garden, they would always spice it up just for a little bit for the fans, whether it would be a title change or just something different that would happen at the garden. So it was always it was special to just be in the garden and here I am. Oh, I only live 45 minutes away from there. You know, this it's, it's a, it's a dream. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Oh, so lucky. Like we certainly did not have that. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Yeah. In, in, uh, in Newcastle where I'm from, uh, the first show I went to was, um, 
It was Whitley Bay Ice Rink. Now, an ice. Imagine the WWF showing an ice rink. That's the kind of business that they were doing in '93. Um, maybe, maybe a thousand people in there. Uh, and I, if I, I mean, I was six at the time, and I'm sure it was headlined by Bret Hart and Ric Flair, which is just insane uh, now. But in the mid '90s, WWF was here every six months, I think. I mean, or even more regular than that, because business was, you know, as the mid-90s went on, because of things like SummerSlam 92, you know, business started to boom over here, and it seemed like wrestlers were on TV. Like, the WrestleMania album came out in 93, and uh, I'll never have a word said against uh, against the wonderful WrestleMania album. Um, you know, and, and hopefully you agree with me. A lot of people give me a sideways glance uh, when, you know... Um, so do you have a favorite wrestling album of all time? <laughs> uh, I would probably say, you know, I guess the first one with, you know, Demolition Theme on there. And uh, but as far as the wrestling album goes, there was a couple of good songs on there. You know, I mean, I did enjoy that one. I'm a, I'm a big theme song person, so I just know about everything that possibly existed in every territory. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big collector of the themes as well. Oh, I think really it cool. means a lot to the characters. That's really cool. Well, the, um, it always fascinates me when, you know, even now when I find out a wrestler had a theme before their main theme. Um, and it, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, really, when I found out Mr. Perfect had more of a, would you call it like a Spartacus kind of theme? It was kind of like sort of a lot more uh, like an orchestra. And he didn't have that theme for very long, but now you can hear it on the network as well. Um, and, some of the other cool ones, like Shawn Michaels having Rhapsody in Blue uh, before uh, before Sexy Boy and stuff like that. Um, yeah, um, are there any uh, particular themes that are your favorites? Uh, I would say The Brood, Demolition, uh, Shawn Michaels, Sexy Boy with Shawn singing. Sherry, <laughs> the Sherry one was good, but, you know, yeah. wow. I mean, I love Hogan's, Beefcakes, you know, Rick Roots, Honky Tonk Man. Uh, Young Stallions are one of my favorites. You know, agree with that. Yeah, the the Young Stallions theme. If you, I mean, especially on Hidden Gems, if you watch anyone make their debut, like Rocky Maivere, they all come down to the Young Stallions. <laughs> Same one. It's like let's let's give them this. It'll work. <laughs> oh, and and uh, you must have seen this. Uh, the global oh, what was it called? Global Warfare. Uh, VHS in 93 it's hosted by Jimmy Hart and it's got it, you know he's in his studio playing the piano and stuff and then it comes goes to a match and then comes back and there's him sat by the pool and um what's it called turn it up I think it is isn't it turn, turn it up yeah yeah it, he has that blasting out of the stereo and he's like oh yeah I wrote that theme tune back in 1986 he doesn't reference the young stallions but turn it up got uh got some airplay on in 1993 which uh which <laughs> which oh, another one was Yes, another one was uh, I love the Strike Force team. They, they that was that was nice, fast pace. You know, good for their car- You know, for their tag team, they were great. They yeah. were great too. And and um, the uh, you know, like the demolition theme originally. Oh, we're gonna have to do a full show on themes now. You know, I wish we'll, we'll do a part two and we'll do it entirely on themes. Um, yeah, the demolition theme. They originally came out to it as an instrumental. Um, yes. I mean, I'm not telling you anything that you didn't already know, but I'm, you know, we're sure. going to just nerd out over. The, we're going to have to nerd out on a part two of this, but uh, you know, and kind of like how Strikeforce didn't come out to go, the words to Girls and Cards, which I think really would have worked um, for them. 
because um, the instrumentals felt a little lackluster. Uh, you really needed that sort of, you know, uh, that real 80s vibe to go with the mullets and the satin jackets and everything else. Um, but the Rick Rude theme, because um, I was always um, confused why they would dub it over, because it's not like they wouldn't own the copyright. And then I read that they thought it sounded too much like uh, that striptease music that everyone knows. That was the only thing that always mind boggled me. You know, it's like, I, I remember when Strike Force came out, I mean, they had their words to their themes, but they never would come out with the words. It would always be the interest, instrumental version. And then Demolition had the instrumental version, and then they finally came out with the words. But with the Rick Rude was the only thing, like you mentioned, it, it was mind-boggling. It's like, wait a second, why did they change that when it was like a, a WWF song? And it's like, it's not like someone record it's like a band that recorded it's like wait a second it, it's the the version that he would come out to later when it was edited it sounded like so much worse than the original it's uh, like wow as i never i never really understood that until you, you told me now you know now i kind of get it i guess i looked into it and apparently they are worried that they would get action brought against them and i'm just like surely not it doesn't sound that much like um like the, I think they call it the stripper. I think that's the name of it. The the music okay. that Sunny first uh, came out to once she stopped managing before uh, you know you want me. Uh, she came out yes. to that music a few times. Um, so in terms of themes, the one that keeps coming up is kind of the white whale. Is uh, Bam Bam Bigelow's uh, saxophone theme, which was used on uh, Primetime in '91 as well. Is that kind of like the the one for you as well, or are there any others that you're just desperate to find? Yes, and also another one that confused me a little was why they changed uh, Roddy Piper's theme song. You know, it was like the cool bagpipes one, and then they made like a different version of his bagpipes one. I was like, oh, this doesn't sound too cool. You know, you remember that? Yeah, no, I do. And and it's the same with, it's kind of weird. They, they make a slight, it sounds almost exact, but it's slightly lackluster compared to the, I mean, the Rick Root one on the network currently is terrible. Um, and as a musician as well, I, I love the chord progression of that original music and the saxophone solo, and it has an energy to it and a vibe to it. And it just suits the heat. I mean, it, you can't watch Roy Rumble 89's pose down now because it's just that terrible music over and over again. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. And, um, you know, when the Uncaged albums came out, was that kind of a bit of a, even I would consider myself slightly a jaded fan. I've kind of regressed now. I don't watch really anything new, but old stuff I will, you know, spend far too much of my time watching. Um, so were the sure. Uncaged albums kind of like a a revelation to you to see how deep deep they were digging into some of those theme tunes? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean that that definitely had a <laughs> definitely had a factor to it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I grew up, you know, as far as the themes go, all the way back to the eighties, nineties. I mean, I loved every theme from every company. So it's like I, I like the originals better than you know. He added once. Yeah, Rick Rude definitely got the, the short end of the stick because it's WCW theme. That incredible WCW theme is gone as well. Um, and that that is, I, I hate to sound like a, a bummer with this, but um, I'm certainly not against the network or anything like that. But the whole Peacock thing, they they are not going to care that we want to see a, a MSG show from 1972. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> like, what what are your thoughts on it at the moment? Because the general conception is that uh, that you know all the attitude era stuff is going to be left out and all that kind of thing. Has that kind of happened, or have they even gotten to that point yet to put it on? I mean, the way it's looking now, like maybe two years from now, maybe the attitude area won't mean anything to to Peacock or anything like that. It's just going to be what's what's there now, and who knows what's going to happen with WWE in the next few years as far as, you know, the attitude era was something special. I mean, maybe we'll just have to keep it in our past, like ECW was something special to us, or the golden era or you know or the new generation era which i i didn't mind i like that new generation era so maybe we just have to learn to adapt or just keep bitching about the product <laughs> I mean, as wrestling fans that's what we do so well that that is the thing i kind of it was one of those things that you always get told look if you don't like it don't watch it and i was kind of like I guess like I, I just not in a not in a horrible way it's just I will happily watch SummerSlam 89 for the millionth time you know you know because I, I never get bored of watching these events and you know the I still get excited about watching something if I haven't watched it for a little while or probably shouldn't say this on the internet but if I was to find a, a season of something or like some house shows that aren't on the network yet from uh, a particular person on whatever wrestling's equivalent of the dark web is um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know that kind of stuff really and, and I don't know how you feel about it but well I guess you kind of already answered the question that you would rather watch the unedited thing even if the picture quality isn't quite as hd because we grew up on vhs that that shit doesn't bother us like we don't need Mm -hmm. crystal clear quality and i'm guessing you feel the same of course i mean i can you can put on SummerSlam 88 for me and watching those tag team survivor series matches it's like you're watching all this talent and all these characters and all these managers as well and every match on the card was like you remember it and they were so good i mean i can I can watch them over and over again and not be bored, you know? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Well, I feel like we've barely scraped the surface because I, I didn't just want to talk about the curtain call because I'm sure, you know, it's definitely the main thing. And I'm sure you don't get sick of talking about it either because, you know, it's, it must be wonderful that people are genuinely showing this interest. And oh, it's kind of like... Um, there are sort of taboos and unanswered questions of like who was behind things now. And that's kind of where we are digging with our wrestling fandom now. Like we want to find out who the kid was at SummerSlam 92 who said British Bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. And we found her. It was a girl. Yeah. I was just like, what? That's insane. Yeah. Um, and she's kind of, she was kind of frozen in time. It's like, you can't be 40 years old. That doesn't work. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> she'll be doing conventions next year. <laughs> Imagine that, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, so you'll be signing, you know, uh, or you'll get be getting people wanting you to film them and stuff like that. Or <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, crazy. You know, the hat guy from ECW, he's now doing shows in an independent promotion, which is awesome, which is cool. You know, so uh, you know, fans mean a lot. Absolutely. So, and and I'm guessing as well um, once shows open back up and once conventions open back up all that kind of thing that's something that you're gonna 
delve into with both feet and everything because everyone wants shows to come back and for and it is starting to happen but obviously everything is still we might enter another lockdown which kind of horribly dates this show if everyone listens in yes year's time um <laughs> this is the 6th of june 2021 in case anyone's listening in the future and people think there's going to be another lockdown happening but um mm-hmm. yes I, I i can imagine you can't wait to sort of uh you know start watching wrestling shows again even as a old school jaded fan <laughs> <laughs> of course and you know what you know what I'll, I'll still watch the product you know it's just so much nicer to have the fans there because you know i'm one of the fans i like to always nowadays i always say this anytime i go to the shows you know pre-covid and everything i would always be in the front row but you got to remember when we filmed the shows when we snuck in the cameras or walked in with the cameras we would purposely sit in the 300 sections as far away as the ring as we could, but not too far where we couldn't film. The reason why we did that is because we knew we wouldn't want to get caught by the security. That was probably the only time we ever had any issue or any concern about security is we purposely would sit in the 300 section. So we're far back enough, but not too far back. And nowadays, the last, you know, since 2015 to 16, 17, whatever it was, you know, every time I've been in the front row, the first first row in the ring, uh, hard camera, that's just how I've been doing it lately. You know, it's it's crazy how we're doing the opposite thing now. <laughs> what's what's uh, before we wrap up? What's the biggest event that we would uh, see you on now if we went back on the network and watched a pay per view from the nineties? And were you rocking a sweet ass uh, mullet? Ah, <laughs> uh, great, great. Um, I've been to so many Raws. You would see me sometimes flashing my wrestling hotline, my 1-800 wrestling hotline. But but most recently, in the last probably like five years, I would always be in the front row wearing either my current call shirt or um, usually be it, it usually be in a Raw in Philly and uh, New York, Nassau Coliseum, um, just random spots. I would just go like almost every couple of weeks. Did you go to the 25th anniversary Raw at the Manhattan Center? No, and um, I'm actually glad I didn't. Glad you didn't. <laughs> I, yeah, the feedback I got from people that were there, they said it, it wasn't good because it was a it was two shows that night, and a lot of the stars weren't there, and it was just not that great. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say again, as kind of like a a bit of a lapsed fan, I I had not looked forward to a show as much as that one. And in being in the UK, road doesn't start until one a.m., and you know I had to stay up. <sighs> and I was just like. Uh, like the highlight for me, honestly, was the the guys who dressed up as Bobby Heenan in disguise in the audience. Did you see those pictures? <laughs> no, I, I guess I missed that one. No, I didn't. Yeah, see there's, that one, there's but... the one of Bobby. Someone dresses Bobby in, as the woman, and then someone dresses Bobby as the Jew, and you know, um, and I think they probably as he as he's trying to get into Raw. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Wow. That's a level of just beautiful. You know that. Um, Fans should definitely. There's not enough fancy dress in audience anymore. I think that they, you know, because didn't the Rock get in trouble on TV for going over to the fans who were dressed as Savage and Hogan and uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, supposedly he, they said he got in trouble. We don't. We, we never know. <laughs> yeah, mean, that's, I don't think he's cool. in trouble over anything. To be honest, um, but yeah, yeah. No, there needs to be more of that when uh, when crowds open back up again. So um, 
where can people find you on uh, social media? I, obviously, you know, I'm very grateful that you were receptive uh, to me as well, because I, I can imagine you've been getting a lot of requests. I mean, I know uh, a show got uploaded just last week that uh, you guys did. Um, so where can people find you? Is the option to request interviews still there? Are you going to hit a wall at some point in terms of like, you know, talking about May 1996? <laughs> uh, that's a great question i was just asked that by my friend like oh uh when's your next podcast after this one i said you know what maybe i'll just i'm gonna put it on hold for a while this is probably gonna be my last one but if people want to reach out to me or ask me questions you know i'm on facebook manny motadi m-a-n-i m-o-h-t-a-d-i or i'm on uh instagram wwe curtain call kid uh, i'm always answering people back every day so you know I'm very open, so you can ask me whatever you want. And you're and you're obviously happy with Kurt and Cole Kid as a that is what you like will probably legally change your name to going for because I interviewed Bull Cut Kid as well. And I asked, Are you are, were you happy with that name? And he was just like, Yeah, look, it's fine. <laughs> like <laughs> so you will be forever known as Kurt and Cole Kid. I guess so. It was just it was just a random name that I didn't even come up with. Some guy in Texas for WrestleMania. 32 or 33 when it was held in texas he was wearing a click shirt and then i was obviously on that dvd and he came up to me i was like oh hey what's up and then he's like oh you're that current call kid guy i was like oh yeah i guess i am and that's how it happened i was like all right i guess i'll keep that name it sounds good alliteration always good see i'm hoping that you'll get like a singlet a wrestling singlet with curtain <laughs> call kid <laughs> i'm nice well, no comment on that one. So, um, okay, before we definitely go, um, a question that I like to ask people, if you had access to the WWE warehouse for 20 minutes and you could just fill your pockets, uh, what would you, what would you take? Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Probably the, the winged, um, uh, world wrestling federation title. Yeah, the one that the one that Hogan had. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Um, good stuff. Yeah, so I've uh, I've had everything from uh, you know, pieces of merchandise to one side of the Punjabi prison to you know, um, <laughs> you know what you're going to do with one side of it. I don't know. Maybe keep keep uh, intruders out or something like that. But uh, yeah, the Wing Deal would be the original Wing Deal. Um, Hogan probably has that. I've, something tells me he kept everything and never gave it back. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah before i get before i get sued uh manny i want to thank you for uh taking part in this and i hope you had fun and uh it's it's a pleasure to sort of, i need very little excuse to delve into the year 1996 um in the uk tops have just brought out a wwe trading card set where there's a 25th anniversary subset of 1996 moments sadly the curtain call isn't in there i feel that it should have been um but yeah no uh I you know, particularly love 1996. I have a frame of Ultimate Warrior specific 1996 merchandise uh, just over here. I'm gonna have to show you some of my collection at some point. Uh, you know, of course. No, I know you say you're not a merch guy, but I might, uh, you know, either confuse you or blow your mind with some of the just random shit I have. <laughs> I bet. I it's bet. Not, you know, I know people who have like Bobby Heenan's WrestleMania free jacket. So my collection isn't as prestigious. It's just kind of more mind-bogglingly. Why do you want that in your collection? You know, empty uh, potato chip packets from India and stuff like that. But uh, 
But yeah, no, this this has been fun. And this is audio, but that does look like a WWE tattoo on your wrist. But I'm guessing that's just the bottom part of the tribal design. Oh, yeah, that's... I got oh, that a few years ago. Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 sure is. Oh, go good eye then. So I'm hoping you've got like a, uh, I don't know, a Bastion Booger tattoo on your back or something like that. Or It's there. That's why it's hidden, you know? The, ba- the Bastion Booger, the Atom Bomb. And, you know, smoking guns are in the back. So, yeah. but I keep them hidden. I can't go to the beach with those off. I was going to say, if you're going to have tattoos like that as well, you've got to you've got to keep your pump up as well to make them look good. Uh, of course. Yeah, of course. So, uh, like, are you glad the gyms are back open or did you just work out from home? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't work out at all. Oh, <laughs> I hate people with good genes. Um, yeah, I need to work out as much as possible just to look this, you know. Um <laughs> So yeah, anyway, right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. And everyone, uh, subscribe to bbgwrestling.com. Uh, find us on Instagram, find Ten Chocolate Lions on the internet, basically. Just type in those words. They will come up. And uh, you can find Manny on Instagram and uh, bother him about 1996 and, uh, <laughs> until he blocks you, uh, which he might do with me after this interview at this point. <laughs> but yes, um, <laughs> thank you again. And we will see you all next time. Thank you.